You're listening to HR Mavericks, a weekly podcast featuring leading small business HR professionals who share their experiences and insights to help you know how to turn your HR processes and employee experience into a strategic business advantage. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the next episode of HR Mavericks. I'm your host, Garrett Justice, and today I'm joined by Melissa Doman, who's an organizational psychologist, a former clinical mental health therapist, and also an author of a new book about mental health at work called Yes, You Can Talk About Mental Health at Work. Here's why and how to do it really well. Did I get that right, Melissa? Yes, you did. Thank you so much. I realize it's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> That's okay. No, hey, we are super excited to have you on the show today. You know, we've done a couple of episodes in the past about this topic of mental health at work. And so we're really excited to have an expert like you on the show to really talk about this topic in more detail and why you decided to write this book. But before we do that, we want to understand just a little bit more about you and your background. So tell us more about you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, So, uh, as you mentioned, I'm an organizational psychologist and I'm a former therapist. The main reason that I specialized in mental health at work is that a lot of people who came to see me in counseling, you know, regardless of the reason they came for counseling, whether it was, you know, a diagnosis or something, you know, major happened to them, a major theme that I saw they all shared, none of them felt like they could talk about it at work. That really, really bothered me. And so I thought, let me make an impact at the source. I think I can make a larger impact by working within workplaces. And so I went into traditional work psych. So, you know, soft skills training, leadership, coaching, professional development, culture, work, people development. I still do all those things around team dynamics and interpersonal communication and emotional intelligence and all those greatest hits topics. But I noticed that even in that work, couldn't say the words mental health or mental illness. And that really didn't sit well with me. So about four years ago, I subspecialized in mental health at work with my previous clinical background blended with my organizational psychology field experience. And it took off like a rocket ship. I discovered very quickly that people were desperate for their permission to talk about this topic, but also to do it well and to not bungle the process. And so that's what I've been focusing on these last four years is not only raising awareness of what we're talking about, but very concretely equipping people to actually do it. You wouldn't say to someone, become fluent in Mandarin overnight. Yeah. So you wouldn't ask someone to become fluent in mental health conversations overnight. Right. So my clients range from giant clients like Estee Lauder and Siemens and Salesforce and Janssen all the way down to tiny, you know, organizations and everything in between. Yeah. And uh, the book just came out last week. And uh, Congratulations. As conscious, thank you. And as I'm conscious, we're listening to an HR audience. I am very uh, proud to say uh, that my book has also been approved for uh, SHRM recertification, mm-hmm. although I'm conscious that when you belong to the different associations, those can be quite expensive and we want to democratize access to information. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's been very busy and I'm appreciative that different industries and companies want to open the conversation and that they want to do it with me. 
Well, I think it's such an important conversation to have that impacts every company, really, and so many different employees. So we're super excited to have you on. I'm glad you mentioned some of that list of those clients that you've worked with. I was about to do that because I think that just for the listeners out there who um, are listening to this episode today, Melissa is the real deal. I mean, she's worked with these large companies. She's worked with the small companies. She's even been featured in BBC and CNBC on articles about the great resignation, which so many of us have heard about. So she knows her stuff today and we're excited to kind of extract some of that knowledge from you in the next few minutes. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. And I'm just appreciative that more and more people want to have not only the conversation, but the real conversation. Yeah. Uh, that's what the folks who do events with me sign up for is all sides of the issue, not just mm-hmm. the rose colored lenses side. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, really just to kick this off, I just want to understand first, why did you decide to write this book? Why this topic? Why now? I think you kind of hinted at that a little bit in your intro here, but tell us a little bit more about that. You know, what's funny is so many people knew that I was going to write this before I did. (laughs) I'm not joking. Mm -hmm. So many people were saying, why don't you write a book? Why don't you put this into a book? I lost count the number of times I said that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, do I have enough to say? Do I have the right thing to say? Would people listen? And as things developed and I started, you know, speaking a lot and things were, you know, gaining a lot of steam. And I saw different folks on LinkedIn who were listed as, as authors and the things they wrote about. And I had accumulated enough, you know, experience and time and learnings that I said, I think I could do this. And I I think it's time to put it all in one place to create a very easily accessible how-to guide that's aimed at the individual. People don't need to hear, you know, more things about policy and more things about data, although that is absolutely referenced in the book Mm -hmm. because the book needs to have more than just my voice. It needs to have lots of voices and proven research-backed information, which it does, over 100 sources to be exact, and 12 12 interviews as well, uh, Mm -hmm. anonymous interviews from different people who gave their story. And I thought, I want to write something that's about the real issue, not just the mental health awareness field depiction of that issue. Yeah. So I contacted a publisher and I told them I existed and what I wanted to write about. And I thought, oh, there's no way, there's no way that it's going to work out. And then they were interested. And then I submitted a pitch and I said, ah, no way, there's no way they're going to take it. And then they said, we want to publish your book. And then Mm. I went, oh my God, now I have to write it. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) So, and it was a very tough process, but I just felt like, all of the different learnings that I had done over all these talks and workshops, I just wanted to have it in one place. Yeah. And I wrote it in lockdown as I went from one lockdown in London, because we lived there for three years, moving back to the States, a lockdown there. That's where I wrote the manuscript. I wrote it in real time. Hmm. So I wrote about all of the things I was already going to write about. But then I also incorporated real-time learnings about how the mental health at work conversation was being impacted by the world just literally and figuratively burning. And the lessons that people needed to take into account when broaching the mental health at work conversation. And I wanted to take the opportunity to explain how did we get here? 
Yeah. What are the obstacles that still exist? How do perceptions and beliefs and different experiences impact what people come to the table with? How do you actually have the conversation? What do you do if the conversation goes wrong? Mm-hmm. I just wanted to cover it all because I think if you don't, you're not setting people up for success. And that's what the book resulted uh, into being, you know, three distinct sections of how and why to do this. And then some real-time learnings from 2020 as well. I love it. I love it. Well, I cannot personally wait to dive into the book and and get into it because I think it sounds, it sounds awesome. And, you know, again, like I said, really relevant for the day and age that we're in right now. And I just want to say props to you for going through that process. I know there's a lot of people out there who probably have deep expertise in their field, but so few actually get to the point of actually writing and publishing a book because it's so much effort to do. But when you have that expertise and can actually go through with that and complete and publish that book, I think it can be so valuable. So thank you for doing that. I know it's a lot of work, Uh, but, um, so Melissa, the other question I have for you then too, is why now, why is, why is uh, the world need this information in this book now? So it was always an important conversation, but now it is seen as a must have non-negotiable conversation it's on the table. It's never going away. And honestly, it was bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. And the topic started to become, you know, really important even before the pandemic or in the before time, as I like to call it, Mm -hmm. the pandemic basically just poured gasoline on the entire process and set it ablaze because originally we're starting to make headway. Progress was starting to happen, but then Lots of start, lots of things started happening that made it even not only more important, but even more difficult. Yeah. So we have glo- a growing political tension. We have continued systemic racism. We have lots of other issues that are growing and then throw the pandemic on top of it and people start to get sick and die yeah, or just get really sick. And then the question becomes, how can businesses afford not to talk about this? They can't. And it's if you break it down to real brass tacks, this is an organ like any other organ in the body. This organ governs who we are, how we do our work, how we interact with each other. And someone decided along the way that talking about the health state, the stress state and the illness state of this organ was weird and uncomfortable and not allowed because of social stereotypes throughout history that are just completely ridiculous. Yeah. And so with the faux compartmentalization of work and life, which has been drastically changed in the past couple of years, businesses are realizing that not only can they not avoid talking about it anymore, but it's important that they do talk about it because mental health, is something that every person on the planet has. Mm-hmm. Mental illness is something that one in four people in their lifetime will have. But mark my words, in our lifetime, with the trauma that people have gone through in the entire planet in some way, shape, or form, that one in four mental illness statistic may increase to one in three or one in two. Yeah. And think about all the energy that people take to hide what it is they're going through. So their boss or their team or their HR or, you know, whoever doesn't find out. 
we only have so much energy in a day. So yeah. think about how that energy could be redirected if having mental health conversations is just normalized and people are not terrified that they'll be doubted for the validity of doing their job yeah. or people thinking they're strange. Well, that it literally I think, makes no sense not to talk about it. No, I think you're absolutely right. And that last piece, I think, is the thing that I'm most excited about that is, like you said, starting to change. It's it's not as much taboo anymore in the workplace, but now people are asking the question, well, how do we talk about it? What's the right way to go about that? So that's right. where I feel like this book can really come in handy. And I'm excited to get into the meat of this. I have one more question before we kind of really do that, um, which is, yeah. you know, like you said, you know, our audience for this podcast is mostly small business small and mm-hmm. medium-sized businesses, mm-hmm. mostly those HR people and the, yeah. and the leaders of those businesses. So how is this book best used in those small business, medium business, HR departments? Well, the good news is, is the book is literally for anyone, no matter where they sit in the business of any business of any kind, because the book is aimed at what you as an individual can do, whether you're, you know, just someone in the business or a leader, or even in HR, there are parts of the book that speak directly to folks that work in HR in terms of acknowledging the fact that they cannot be everything to everybody. They cannot be an expert at everything, also including mental health. That is completely unfair. So that's why folks like me exist and resources like this book exists so that HR folks can not only, you know, educate themselves further in terms of the experiential how to's to have these sorts of conversations, but also talking about the importance of folks in HR sharing their own mental health experiences, because honestly, it it humanizes them. People have this nasty habit of dehumanizing folks that work in HR because they work in HR. They have their own experiences too. That is deeply unfair. And so it's really about understanding that this is a skill set to develop like any other skill set. You have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about understanding what you as an individual can do to make these sorts of impacts and what that impact can look like in a small business, especially if you work in HR and looking at the process of how do I enable my workforce to understand the importance of how and why to have this conversation. So they're not running to me as the leader or person in HR for every single mental health conversation that just creates a bottleneck. Yeah. So yes, there are certain situations absolutely that need to go to HR or leaders. You know, not all of these conversations have a neat little bow tied around them. They're not linear. Some are easy. Some are emergencies. Most are somewhere in between. So it's really about, giving folks the skill set to triage and handle those situations or direct the situations, whether it's HR or the EAP or insurance or whatever it is in those scenarios that can help that person even better than you can. Yeah. So it's, it's really just very accessible, easy to understand. Here are the things to do. Here are the things to consider. Here are scenarios where it may get a little hairy And it's really about picking what feels realistic for your business. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think, you know, just to add to that, from my experience too, I think now that 
mental health is something that is less taboo to talk about in the workplace. I mean, we're still working on it. So I'll say less taboo, right? Give it five, um, 10 years. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I do think there's a lot of businesses, especially small businesses who expect that HR leader to be the one, the expert on this, who is supposed so to navigate, navigate for the business, how to navigate through this, right. How to train nope. other managers on it. Right. And so, nope. yeah, I know, I know, but I think that that's the, where a lot of businesses are today, right. That's kind of the mindset of so many businesses fair or I unfair. Know. I think that's kind of where we're at, you know? Well, that's why it is very loud and apparent on my website that that is not a realistic approach. Yeah. And that, right. you know, whether it's HR or leaders, you partner with folks like me to, to take the entirety of the burden off your shoulders. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't learn it. They absolutely yeah. should, but they shouldn't be solely responsible. It's not like you would say to a, a GP physician, Hey, can you do all of these tests that are specialized only in endocrinology or can you do all these things in oncology? It's called a specialism for a reason. Yeah, that's right. And it's so, something that's applicable to every department, right? So yeah. everyone needs to learn it. So, well, um, I want to jump into kind of some of the meat of this. So as we were talking about this a little bit more, you mentioned that in the book, there are, you talk about some counterproductive mental health at work trends. And so I'd I'd love to dive into that just as some tangible examples here. So talk to me about what some of these are, and then I want to dive into, you know, why do the, why do you think these trends exist? And also ultimately what can businesses do to overcome these barriers to progress? Oh gosh, there's so many examples. Give me, yeah. I'll give you a couple. I'll give you a couple. Yeah. So let me first say these trends are well-intended. They are. They're trying to provide a service to people to help them help themselves. I get that. However, what's not recognized by some of these programs is that they're actually not only counterproductive, but they can be destructive. So an example of that are some of the programs now that are hack your mindset in 90 days or work your way to happiness in 60 days, or creating a culture of positive mental health. You know what that really means? That means here are here is an ideal that we have defined that is meant to be functional and healthy and successful. Hmm. They don't think about how that might not work for most people. And how by setting that standard that you're just inherently marginalizing them and making them feel like crap for not being able to do what you prescribe. Hmm. I don't mean that in a medical set in a medical way, but in a, what they're, what the program is, is doing. And then when organizations bring those programs into their companies, the big old tagline that should be plastered across every single one of those emails is your negative emotions and negative experiences are not welcome here. Hmm. Do this so you can show up. Yeah. So it's also interlaced with this like toxic positivity. So Hmm. what I mean by that is always doing the silver lining or always shooting for the next goal or look, always looking on the bright side. That is not what people need. Sometimes, sometimes people just need to feel like crap. They need to feel their negative emotions from that are reasonable reactions to, you know, transient life events 
because we're pre-programmed with those negative emotions for a reason. They are evolutionarily designed to signpost to us or to other people that something is not right and that we need support. So when we're talking, when they say, oh, creating a culture of positive mental health, or let's talk about mental fitness, that is just a great way to make people feel like shit. Hmm, interesting. I'm sorry, I, I use a bad word, but that was the no, right word. I think that is totally applicable in this sense, right? And I think that that's, uh, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm sure that there's probably HR people out there or business owners listening to that, wondering, well, then what do we do? Right. And what do we do? Mm-hmm. So what, what's your recommendation for that, especially for these small businesses that uh, may, might be stuck kind of in that mode, not knowing what to do and want to hearing that want to avoid that pitfall that you kind of described. What, what do you recommend? Where do they start? couple of things. So I think that the real why is what matters. If you make it seem like a checkbox exercise that you're talking about this, your staff will know they just mm-hmm. will. There is a difference between saying, hey, we're going to have a wellness Wednesday. Please don't call any of your events that, by the way, please, (laughs) please don't use wellness Wednesday, because if you're not looking at people's perceptions and beliefs about this topic, no one will come to your wellness Wednesday if you aren't looking at what's sitting behind these sorts of beliefs for the conversation happening or not. So. What's the real why? Why do you actually care as an organization or as a leader? And that might also mean self-disclosing within your comfort levels, some personal reasons that you feel it's uncomfortable, you know, that it's important. What's the why? And most importantly, what are you going to do to embed the why into the organization and not let the initiative die out? Yeah. And then also, if it if you decided to go down the other route, which tons and tons and tons of businesses have done, so don't beat yourself up if that's what you've done. One of the greatest things you can do is admit if you should have done it differently. Mm-hmm. So it shows that you've grown and you've learned. And if you say, we took that approach before and we realized that's not helpful and it's not what people need. So we want to recognize all sides of the issue and make people feel safe, psychologically safe to, to talk about this so we can have a healthier, more connected workforce. Notice I didn't say happy Mm -hmm. because when you want to have a healthy, happy workforce, that just makes people feel under pressure that they Mm -hmm. have to be happy to show up at work. Yeah. So it's about, if you mess it up the first time, that's okay. Say what you want. The actual conversation is to look like, what that rollout is going to look like and what good looks like in practice. I help businesses define that all the time and really being authentic about the why, because if you're not people, people will know what's the actual reason that you want to open up the conversation in your business, not because the world's telling you to. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great point. So be real, be authentic and kind of lead by example as a business leadership group and understand what that why is and tell people about it. So I'm curious, do you have any examples of businesses that you have helped or coached kind of through this process that wanted to start this conversation internally about mental health and tell us a little bit about, you know, where they started and what, what specifically they did that you found uh, productive and successful? That is such a good question. It's been such a different journey with each industry, with each business. And I have some businesses that are really 
just the gold standard of how they did it. So these are the folks that really lean in and realize it's not a one session topic. It's not. It's not only about creating the initiative and multiple events to cover these sorts of topics and give people the education they need, but what that looks like in terms of embedding it long-term. So for example, there is a, a wonderful uh, engineering company based in North Dakota that in the past 16 months did 10 sessions with me, 10. And they really leaned in. They told me not to shy away from the hard stuff. Uh, they're really good about gathering feedback from staff in terms of what they liked from the events, what worked, what didn't work. How can we shape the content going forward? How do we have events as the situation evolves? And every single event I do, I always have internal staff members who are visible in those events. So because typically speaking, human beings are more likely to do things they see other human beings do successfully. So I always have, quote, one of their own who is engaging in the session with me so they can literally see their peers or their leaders role modeling in real time in terms of introducing the session about their own why, about why they want to talk about mental illness at work or yeah. why it's really hard to navigate uncertainty and ambiguity as a leader. I always have faces of people from each business who are participating in every single event. So role modeling can start in real time yeah. to get the buy-in. And so they were really amazing. Uh, Estee Lauder and one of their brands that they own, Bumble and Bumble, they really leaned in, did a multi-event series with me. And um, there's also a, a health communications uh, agency that is global uh, that does, what I will say is that they do a lot of the marketing and PR for organizations that are involved in vaccine development, like mm. big, big pressure jobs yeah. And so just being very, very clear about really investing the time that it's not a one event thing and getting lots of different faces from throughout the business to participate as it develops, because they not only need to hear from me, they need to hear from their peers who are doing what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's why I never do anything plug and play. Never. Mm -hmm. Every single delivery I do is bespoke and tailored to each business because mm -hmm. each business is in its own phase of readiness and willingness uh, and ability to, to, do, to do this sort of initiative. Yeah. Those trainings and workshops sound wonderful. I can see how that'd be really impactful to just kind of change the narrative and start to change really even the culture at the companies around uh, mental health here. Well, yeah, that's the thing is if you don't look at the perception and the mindset and the belief, none of the training will matter. Mm -hmm. You have to look at what folks are coming to the table with, because if you don't, the training may only land with certain people yeah. and not the overwhelming majority like you want it to. So it's about crossing, crossing the divided differences so that you yeah. can all get on that same page for the, and I don't even look at it as, as training. I look at yeah. it as just expanding your education and updating your beliefs. Yeah. I think that's great. Meet people yeah. where they are. 
right? And that's yeah. what you got to do each time. So wonderful. Well, Melissa, I think we could probably spend all day diving into this. Unfortunately, we don't have the time, but this has been awesome. Just really understanding. I know we've just barely scratched the surface on the awesome content that's in this book and also in your workshops. But, you know, as we kind of wrap up here to sum it up in one statement, what, what's the biggest lesson you hope that people take away from this book? I think with your permission, uh, I could just read you the quick paragraph under the, what are we trying to achieve? Section. Yeah, please. Is that okay. Yeah. Directly getting, from the book, this, right? Yes. Getting us getting a sneak peek here. Well, you'll, you said you'll be reading it soon anyway, but yeah. What are we aiming to achieve? A very important point here. The aim is not for every single person to feel obligated to discuss mental health or mental illness at work. That mandated approach would be counterproductive and make a lot of people feel very uncomfortable in a very unhelpful way. What we are aiming for is for every person to feel that they have the option, permission, and that they feel safe to discuss it. By reconstructing how we look at mental health and mental illness overall, we can change the conversations we have at work. We can improve how people feel at work and how we connect with one another. Ultimately, we can build a culture that says it's okay to talk about all the shades of gray and complexities of life and support colleagues so they can do work that they enjoy. This book may not be able to eradicate the silence surrounding mental health at work entirely. No individual or book could ever do that. But what it can do is empower you as an individual, regardless of your position within a company, to further the discussion about mental health and contribute to a positive, non-judgmental environment in your workplace. This book isn't about boosting employee engagement or productivity. It's not a book about how employee well-being is tied to profits. The link between mental health and those concepts is already widely proven and not my focus here. Instead, I want to teach you how to shift the workplace cultural fabric around mental health at work through compassionate and constructive conversations. This book will show you the deeper why and the how. And this stuff isn't done quickly. Changing a culture and entrenched social norms is effortful and requires patience, strength, and vulnerability. At the risk of sounding trite, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Just as you learn to walk, you will need to take this one step at a time. And most importantly, it is crucial that we get it right. I love it. You just made me even more excited to go grab the book. Ah, you're sweet. Thank you. That's great. So I, I love specifically the how and the why, right? I think that's probably the biggest question for so many people. If you're going to, if you're going to dive into this topic and you want to change um, or open the conversation at your workplace, knowing how and, and why is so key to that. So I love that that's a big focus of this book. So encourage everyone out there who's interested to go check it out. And uh, Melissa, thank you so much for joining today. As we kind of wrap up here, there's one question that I really like to ask all of our guests, uh, not related to the topic. And it's really about um, what it takes to build a healthy, enduring company. Part of our mission at Eddie is, you know, to help local businesses build healthy, enduring companies by focusing on their people. So in your opinion, what is the key to building a healthy, enduring company today? Acknowledging and embracing that humans are imperfect beings and 
there is strength in that. I love that. I think it's a wonderful answer. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I (laughs) I just came up with it on the fly. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that definitely contributes to building a healthy enduring company today. It's key. It's a core piece of that. So um, again, Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, Tell us if there are listeners who want to get in contact with you or want to find your book, tell us about where they can do that. So if you would like me to come in and do a keynote or panel or digital fireside interview or seminar, the best place to look at my suite of offerings is my website. So that is www.melissadoman.com. You can also feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. And the book is available across all major retailers online and uh, also in some some brick and mortar stores. Uh, You can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all these sorts of places. And there is a tab on my website for the book where it has a whole bunch of of logos of retailers where you can go and purchase that. So uh, please say hello. I'd love to hear from you and to help you help your business to open up realistic, constructive conversations about mental health at work. Love it. Thank you so much, Melissa. Appreciate you taking the time today. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Today, enduring companies know that their people are their most important assets and they invest in helping them excel. But often, small businesses with limited HR resources struggle to manage their people, payroll, and processes efficiently and create an environment where frontline, deskless employees thrive. That's why we created Eddie. Eddie is the all-in-one HR suite built for local businesses that streamlines tedious HR processes and improves the employee experience for frontline workers. With Eddie, you can hire, manage, pay, and engage employees with one easy-to-use software. No headache required. You've already done the hard part by creating a great business. Now let us help you take it to the next level. Visit eddie.com today to request a demo.